In the four calendar years since Gospel Church started, we're more like three and a half years in if you count days, but um, if in the four calendar years since Gospel Church has existed, um, there's one book of the Bible that we've returned to in every single one of those years, uh, and only one, actually, the Psalms. Um, there's, there, there's a few reasons for that. One reason for it is the enormity of this book. You know, I, I actually have here, um, this, is, this is the Psalms on their own, um, just, just, just written out with kind of one page of Psalm and one page of space for your notes. And, and I have a whole set of these for the whole Bible. And what you notice when you look at them is that the Psalms are huge. Like they take up so much space. This is, it's actually thicker than my Bible when, when it's written out like this. It's got much thicker pages as well and stuff like that. It's, it doesn't have more words than the Bible. That's obviously physically impossible. But, um, you know, it's got more than twice as many chapters as the next shortest, the next longest book, you know, in, in the Bible. Um, although, you know, if you go by word count, it's, it's roughly the same as the next longest because, uh, you know, they're poems and so they're written a bit differently. But, but it's more than just the size. Uh, the Psalms introduce us to the biblical take on the emotions, the inner self of the, be of the person. They help us to interpret our felt experience of the world biblically. Uh, John Calvin uh, was, you know, one of the great theologians of all time. And, he, you know, what he called the Psalms, he called them the anatomy of the parts of the soul. And I flagrantly stole his language and used it as our series title here. Um, Here's what he said in a slightly longer version. Let me get out the slide clicker and hopefully it works. Did the, oh, someone else is, someone's already doing this for me. Oh gosh. Okay, I've got it, Eli, thank you. Um, he said, I am wont to call this book, not without cause, the anatomy of the parts of the soul. For not an affection will a man find in himself an image of which is not reflected in this glass. Nay, all the griefs, sorrows, fears, misgivings, hopes, cares, anxieties, in short, all the troublesome emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated, the Holy Spirit has here pictured to the life. Thank you, Eli. Here are prophets themselves talking with God because they lay bare all their innermost thoughts. Invite or hail every one of us to examine himself in particular, lest aught of the many infirmities to which we are liable or all of the many vices with which we are beset should remain hidden. A rare and surpassing benefit. When every lurking place having been explored, the heart is brought into the light, cleansed from hypocrisy. There's the purpose of the Psalms. They bring our felt experience of the world into the light and lead us to live it out without hypocrisy, without hiding ourselves. You know, hypocrisy originally is a word that meant acting. You know, when when the, the ancient Greek actors would put on a mask, literally, and, and act, and, and it's saying, take off the mask. God doesn't need you to hide who you are. So here's one reason I love the Psalms. You see... A lot of people have a, a version of the Christian faith that is stiff and unfeeling. It, it, it's in the Victorian sense of the word British, if you will. Uh, it is a Christianity which looks down on feelings and rejects, them as, uh, rejects the need for them. It often reduces the Christian faith down to following commands and knowing facts. 
both of which are important, by the way. Um, and it reduces the Christian down to a, a, a robot who is, who is expected to perform the right actions, but never, never to weep with either sorrow or joy. Never, never to fall down and cry out, either in pain or in worship. Such a Christianity must ex- ignore the Psalms. That's, in so doing, it ignores a great gift that God has given us in the Psalms. That God has made us to feel. He has made us with emotion. These things aren't an afterthought or an accident. He created us this way. And we can honour him with the way that we uh, engage with our emotions and use our emotions. The way that we take our emotions to him. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take our next step into this book. This is obviously volume three. We're in our third set of Psalms. We did kind of a single one, one of those years. Um, and, and we're going to take our next step into the anatomy of the soul. And before we get to our first, you, you'll notice I'm going to introduce a little bit longer today, but don't worry, we're having a short psalm. Um, before we get to our first, I want to just introduce us again to some of the um, principles, just some brief principles for reading the psalms. Because I don't know about you, um, when, when we come to the psalms, we kind of need a bit of help. I mean, we need that in the Bible in general. But sometimes we get to the Psalms and we have trouble kind of seeing what's going on here and how on earth this speaks to me a lot of the time. And, and so I, I've got some principles here for us, but which, which I pray are going to help us as we go through the Psalms, but which I pray will also be helpful to you as you engage the Psalms in your own personal reading as well. Uh, because the Psalms, you know, they can be hard. Some, some aren't so bad. You know, sometimes we, we could look at, at, you know, at one kind of on the right angle and we see a list of commands and we go, well, that's nice and easy. Um, I, can, I can do that. Um, or, or sometimes, you know, others we can enjoy because they're so positive and praiseful and it's just easy. But then you get others that are downright confusing or others that are downright depressing, if we're honest. I mean, you know, and we go... What do I do with that, God? How do I read this? What, what does this mean for me? Now, our first principle we've already covered here, right? Uh, the Psalms introduce us to the soul and its parts. In the, in the Psalms, we find human emotion, human feeling lived and expressed in ways that honour God. Sometimes in ways that surprise us that they can honour God in that way. And so, you know, we find maybe to our surprise that it's actually okay to struggle and to bring genuine, heartfelt tears and struggles to God. You know, so you have Psalms like Psalm 88, uh, which just kicks in the face of the idea that a Christian lives in perfect victory and, and, and peace all of the time, because it literally ends with the line, my companions have become darkness, the end. Hey, um, happy days. Uh, you know, we might go, well, what do I do with that, Lord? What? <laughs> Do I just move on to Psalm 89? Um, And one thing we do with that is we realise that faithful people, God-fearing, God-honouring people, and in fact, inspired by the Holy Spirit, people can still go through dark seasons where they struggle. And and that's uh, what's important is to bring the struggle to God. Even, even when you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even if you're still in the my companions are darkness stage of the struggle, you can bring it to God and he hears you and he's with you in it. 
Second, when we read the Psalms, we need to see that there are, there are three levels at which they speak to us. First, the Psalms speak in an original context. You know, this, this is the whole Bible, right? That shouldn't be surprising. They, they were originally sung by Israel for a, for a purpose or in a season. Some, some of the Psalms, we actually get the original, original context of the writer. There's about like a dozen or so where we find out in the kind of heading at the top what was happening for David when he wrote the Psalm or whatever. Uh, you know, it was when he fled from Absalom or whatever. But all of the Psalms were to be sung by the people when this book was actually gathered into a, into a book. All of them were, were put intentionally in it. We do ourselves a little bit of a disservice in the way that we do this, actually, because they're actually intentionally in, the, in order through the book of Psalms as well. Uh, they were probably put together just after the exile, <clears throat> when the people were returning and rebuilding and seeking to return to faithfulness to God. And so they are a, a congregational book. They're a book for the people to come together in worship of God and return from our sinfulness and return to him. Um, second, you know, after we ask, you know, what was the original context they spoke into, we ask, how do the Psalms speak about Jesus? Um, or, or, or rather, when you read a Psalm, you ask, how does this Psalm speak to me of Jesus? Um, people sometimes speak of the Messianic Psalms. Uh, some of us might have heard that language. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's fine. That's because... Um, some of them are so clearly about the life of Jesus, kind of predictively about the life of Jesus, looking forward to him in history. But in a, in a real way, all of the Psalms are about Jesus. Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You know, in Matthew 5, he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, by which he means the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill them. Uh, on, the, on the road to Emmaus, he took them through the scriptures, right? And he showed them all of the places in which they spoke about him. The, the scriptures are about Christ. But, but exactly how that works in the Psalms can be difficult to see. I don't know about you. I've, 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 I've struggled with that at times. And there's this little principle, which I only really quite recently heard, uh, which is just so helpful. And I, I, I pray it will help you as you go through the Psalms. It's so practical for seeing how the Psalms speak to us about Christ. Um, I, I, I nicked this from a guy named Mark Fatado. I'm not sure if it's Fatado or Fatado. Um, uh, I say Fatado, he says Fatado. No. Um, henceforth, I'm going to call him Fatado Fatado. Um, that's probably rude, but I'm going to do it. Um, he's, a, he's a seminary professor, great guy from the States. Um, uh, he's a Psalms expert as well. He's written books on this. And, and, and here's me paraphrasing Mark Fatado Fatado. Um, he says, the Psalms are all either ultimately sung to Jesus or sung by Jesus. When we read them, we should ask, could this be sung to him or could this be sung by him? The Psalms are either to him or by him. That, that's a principle that will serve you so well as you go through the Psalms. If you take one thing today on how you read your Bible, one thing from the series on how you read your Bible, I'd love it to be that. Because I think we would come to the Psalms and we'd see new joy and new peace as we see Christ in the Psalms. Uh, but, uh, lost my spot. Um, in Psalm 22, for instance, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And, and although that has an original context for David and for Israel, like we said, uh, ultimately that was to be sung by Jesus on the cross when he cries those words out. And there are other psalms that he didn't specifically say, but we could see, you know, this reflects the life of Jesus. It could be sung by him in his life. But then you have psalms like Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man who's, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. And we could sing those words about Jesus, couldn't we? We could, we could know that although it's not just what this does, it is describing our Lord to us, because he is the one who's faithful, who did not walk in the way of sinners, but, but who delighted in the law of the Lord. Um, Yeah. So the Psalms are ultimately sung either to Jesus or sung by Jesus, sometimes both. And then finally, we need to ask, so our first level is, what was the original context? Our second level is, how does this speak to me about Jesus? Our, our, Our third level is, how does this Psalm speak to my life? That's an important one. And I put that last because if we bypass Jesus and just look for how it speaks to me, which can be our temptation sometimes, uh, so often we end up getting lost and kind of replacing ourselves, Jesus with ourselves, kind of thinking of ourselves as, as the, the, the ultimate object of the Psalms. Um, and yet they do, they do powerfully speak to us, so often through Christ. So, how does it speak to its original context? How does it speak to me of Jesus? How does it speak to me of my life? How does it speak into my life? Um, it doesn't always have to be in that exact order. In fact, we're just going to smash that apart today and just do it in a different order anyway. But, uh, but if we answer those three questions uh, by the Spirit's empowering, we will see how the Psalms in a, in a new and a powerful way, I believe. Okay, so today we're in Psalm 124. Um, I love... Psalm 124. Uh, I, I remember when I started adoring Psalm 124. Um, it's, it's, it wasn't that long ago. It was in 2018. Uh, I, I had a friend of mine who was going to preach through it, and he just sat down and talked to me about it. And, and, and I just I, I read it with new eyes for some reason, and, and I was just like, this is such a powerful psalm. It, it reminds us that there really there's only one thing that matters in life. If, if you look in your Bible there, you'll see that this psalm is marked uh, at the top as a psalm of ascents, a song of ascents uh, of David. No, not of David, sorry. Yes, of David. I'm looking at 125. <laughs> okay. Um, a psalm of ascents of David. Uh, what that means is that this is one of a group of psalms for the people of Israel to sing as they went up to Jerusalem together for the festivals and for the feasts. Maybe as one that they sung on their way back from the exile as a people as well. It's there to unify them in the truth, to bring them together as they went up to the city, to each festival, to bring them together in the reality of who God is and who they are in the light of who God is. And the message of this psalm is incredibly simple and clear and so powerful for our lives today. Here it is. If you haven't got God, you've got nothing. But with God on your side, even if the whole world is against you, you have everything. So here's the structure of the psalm. 
Okay, super duper simple. You get, um, you get a main idea at the start that, that David gives us. Then you get four pictures, which just reinforce that main idea, and then you get a conclusion. Easy, right? Um, so here's the main idea. Verse one and two. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, verse three, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Did you see the community element to the psalm, by the way, the, the way this is one of those psalms of a sense? Uh, let Israel now say is the second line of the psalm because, because it's written for someone to say, uh, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, and then every, the whole congregation goes, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and it brings them together in it, brings us together. And the, uh, I want you to pay close attention to those opening words, though. Um, what it does not say is important. It doesn't say, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, um, no, it says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Do you see the difference? If it, if, it, if it said, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, then that would mean that without him, we wouldn't have been able to succeed on our own. Now, that's true, isn't it? But not comprehensive. If it says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Now, what that means is that without the Lord, we would never have succeeded. Even if all powers had been on our side, even if we could have had our pick of every single thing that we could possibly have wanted, we would have failed because we wouldn't have had the Lord. We need him and only him. Nothing else will do. Uh, you could have given us all the armies on earth, you know, you could have provided the biggest, most impressive king with the biggest, most impressive city. But without God, we would have been toast, is the message. Uh, I, I look back at the story of Gospel Church uh, so far, you know, how we started out in particular. And, and then again and again across our three and a half years-ish of existence so far. And I see a story that's reflected in Psalm 124 so many times, don't you? Um, if, if it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, like Gospel Church now say, right? At the very beginning, before our first Sunday as a church, let me, some of you, haven't, many of us haven't been here for all this and, and maybe you haven't heard this story. Before our first Sunday, Gospel Church was a handful of people who had an idea. Um, you know, we had almost no money. Uh, we had no official building. Uh, we had no equipment except for what we personally owned. Uh, in, our, in our early times, we got donated a few music stands. This illustrates it a bit. And, and it was so amazing. We were like, the Lord provideth. He has given us music stands. Amazing. Like, it, was, it was like, wow. Yeah, we didn't think it could be this big. We got two music stands. Amazing. Uh, he, so, so here's a picture of us. Um, here's a picture of us a few weeks in, uh, meeting in the shed behind our house in Port Vincent. Um, yeah, about 12-ish about people in attendance, about half of them still figuring out whether this was the church for them. Um, now, I don't mean to be rude to them, to us, to myself, in fact, because I made most of those calls. Um, maybe I do mean to be rude to me. Hmm, anyway, uh, but sheds behind houses are not usually how things that last start. 
Can we, can we agree on that? Like that's, that's not, you know, if you go and open a church planting manual, and there are church planting manuals out there that talk about, you know, the best way to do this. Like that you're not going to get to page 15 and it says, now you should have a shed behind your house and you should go and meet in the shed behind your house because that's, that's going to be a recipe for this going well, right? Uh, no, we just used what we had. Um, in a real way, the only really substantial thing that we had going for us was the very real conviction, a very strong conviction. This wasn't just a thing that we were doing. This is a thing that God was doing and that we were kind of along for the ride and that if he was on our side, although every other factor might be against us, although even our very incompetence be against us, it'll last because he's in it. If the Lord hadn't been on our side, if it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, like Gospel Church now say, if it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, it would have failed. And the words of this psalm, they're not just words uh, of someone who's theorising, right? Um, This was originally penned by David, uh, King David. And, and, And this was a constant reality in the life of David, this need for the Lord and only the Lord to be on his side. Seriously, go read First and Second Samuel when you get a moment. Um, several of them, actually. It's relatively long. Uh, and, and, and see how many times David would have been toast if the Lord hadn't been on his side. You know, he fights a nine-foot giant at the outset. That's kind of his entry into the world, in, in, into the book. Um, he gets hunted by the king multiple times across, across not a very long period of time, actually. Uh, you know, he gets spears thrown at him that miss narrowly. He gets hunted by his own son. He fights armies and enemies who outnumber him severely, kind of on a regular basis. That's kind of, that's Tuesday for David, right? Uh, and, and, and just take this one example, and this actually isn't the most striking example, but take this one. This is in 2 Samuel 5, right at the beginning of his kingship. The Philistines hear that David has been anointed king, and here's what happens. Um, this is 2 Samuel 5, 17. When, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is Baal Perazim. Now, um, take in mind, this isn't too long after we find out that Israel wasn't allowed by the Philistines to have blacksmiths. And so like, you know, like for Saul, the, the king before him, you've got like Saul and his son who have swords and the rest of them have got, I don't know, spoons or something. Um, and, and they're rushing into battle with that. You know, this, this is still in that kind of a stage for Israel against this real warlike nation of the Philistines who were fighting against them. Uh, and now, now, it's not the most striking example. You know, you get the giant, right? The giant's an easy example. But when you consider um, David and Goliath, that's, that's such a powerful example. But here's why I bring that one up. He goes to the stronghold, doesn't he? It says it there. 
But notice, he doesn't trust in the stronghold to save him. David trusts what God says and follows where God sends. And because the Lord is on his side, he has the victory. See, the point is not just that having God on our side saves us. The point it is, is that it is only God who could save us. And praise God, he has saved us if we've trusted in Jesus. There's a reason that the people of Israel were meant to sing this together uh, and to one another, right? The things we face in this world can so strongly tempt us to rely on things other than God. You know, look at the images in this psalm. Uh, the psalm gives us these four pictures of what the situation of Israel were like. And, and this is intentional that it, it doesn't really give us a lot of context in the way it's written because we're meant to read this and see our own situations here. So verse 3 pictures him and us as, as a morsel which would have been swallowed up alive in the mouth of the enemy. Verse 4 pictures him and us as a lone person who would have been washed away by a flood. Yeah, think, think of that in context of David's life, right? No army can defeat a flood. You ever tried hitting the flood with a sword? It doesn't work. Think of it in context of our life. There's so many troubles we face. It doesn't matter who we have on our side. Only the Lord will do. He's pictured as prey for a wild animal. Or as, or as a game bird. You know, if you wonder what a fowler's snare is, you know, it's a person who catches fowl. Makes sense, right? And, and, and caught in the trap, and yet God breaks the trap. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Like you were in the trap? Like you're facing an insurmountable flood? Like you're going to be eaten alive in this situation? Like the odds are so stacked against you that you're just not going to make it through? You can't stand this temptation. You can't make it through this hard season in your life. You're really just being swept along with the events around you, powerless to escape. You don't know where to turn. Or like you've failed and nothing that you can do can save you now. Our temptation when we face those seasons and those situations is to trust the stronghold, right? To look to things we have in this world and to trust them to save us. Like David could have trusted in the stronghold, right? He could have stayed in there and just waited for the Philistines to come to, come to him. Uh, or he could have trusted in his army, or he could have trusted in his chariots, or, or in the wisdom of generals. When we face struggles, it can be so easy to leave God out of the picture. Can't it? If you've ever faced a season of depression, you know, this, can, this can be a serious struggle. It can be so tempting to just trust in you know, medication or to trust uh, that things uh, are going to get better, or to just despair and fall apart even, and, and, and in either, any of these, not to come to the Lord. Now, now notice, David does go to the stronghold. It doesn't say David could have gone to the stronghold, but he didn't. He, he went and trusted the Lord. No, he went there, but the, he doesn't trust the stronghold. 
He trusts in the Lord. You know, if you're depressed and you need medication, that can be okay. <laughs> the Bible does not have an issue with that. But don't hope in medication. Hope in the Lord. Don't trust it to solve the problems ultimately. Trust in the Lord. And accept the good gifts he's giving you. The things we rely on, they so often seem so reliable, don't they? But in the end, we're going to look back and we're going to say, if the Lord had not been on my side, I would have fallen. He's the one who truly gets us through. Knowing his love for us and having him fighting for us gets us through. You know, I don't, there are so many parts of my life that I just don't know how I would have survived or persisted in or managed or, or like not just collapsed and been a, 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 a fetal position ball on the ground for, were it not for the Lord with me in them. It's on those dark days, which we face at times, don't we, that we need to remember the truths of this psalm. If you haven't got God with you, you've got nothing. But if God is on your side, even if the whole world be against you, you have everything. Now, do you remember what Fatato Fatato said? The psalms are either sung to Jesus or about Jesus. Sorry, sung to Jesus or by Jesus, right? So let's just pause and ask, which is it here? It's Psalm 124, and the answer is both. In Psalm 124, we see Jesus so powerfully, and as we see Jesus, the truths of the psalm gain power for our lives. See, Jesus could have sung Psalm 124, couldn't he, for his life, um, in, in a way that no one else can, in fact. Because like no one else, Jesus had God and God only on his side. Now, Jesus lived with the world opposed to him. The mighty spiritual forces of Satan opposing him. Eventually taken to the cross by the, the forces of evil that sought to destroy him. And apparently defeated in that moment in all appearances, right? Jesus could say, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side... They would have swallowed me up. In his Pentecost speech uh, sermon, Peter said to the people of Jerusalem, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God was with him, so he had everything. Even though every power was against him, death could not hold him. But then, because this could be sung by Jesus, this is also a song that we sing to Jesus as a people. Because Jesus went to the grave, because Jesus faced every earthly power and carried our sin, faced our enemies for us, our death for us. And because he rose again, we know that God is on our side. And will not forsake us. If we've trusted in him, he's with us. So even if we have nothing else, if the world stands against you, you have God and therefore you have everything. 
Even death won't get the final say for you if you trust in God and in Jesus. You might lose, but with Jesus, even if you lose, you win. You know, we can sing with Paul in Romans 8, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elected is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us. He stands before God right now, Christian, interceding for you, speaking on your behalf in the presence of the Father. You're so loved. God is for you. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword stand against us? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, notice what he's saying there. They're still dying. They're still struggling. They're still facing difficulties. God hasn't given them every single thing that the world would offer them and made it a nice and easy, cruisy life with a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, right? But they have God with them. And so he can say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of Jesus, even on dark days, even when we struggle, we can sing with Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Ultimately, nothing else will do. Ultimately, if your faith is not squarely placed on Jesus, you'll be overcome. The pictures in this psalm, they reflect the everyday struggles of our lives that we face. Every time uh, that we're called to faithfulness and, and we face temptation or face difficulty and tempted to abandon God's, God's goodness to us. Every time that we're called to trust, uh, but we're tempted to despair. But they also picture something eternal and final. Ultimately, everyone will face God one day. And Psalm 124 invites us. It invites those who do not have the Lord on their side to gain the one thing that matters, to gain, by God's definition, by the only definition that matters, everything. The judgment of God is like a coming flood, one that we fully deserve. We have sin. We've, we've run away from him. We have rebelled against him, yet he calls us to find redemption and mercy in Jesus. He calls us to trust in Jesus and turn from sin. And when we turn to him, we discover this wonderful reality. The Lord is on our side. He loves us and cares for us. He's not just begrudgingly allowing us in. His arms are open wide. And if the Lord is on your side, even if you have nothing else, you have everything. Would you pray with me? Lord, we 
echo the words of that first song that we sung today. With joy. Our God is for us. We thank you, Lord, because we don't deserve you being for us, and yet you welcome us in. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who would who would enter your kingdom today, who would come to know the Saviour, who wants to trust in you, that they would be out of turn. There's no special words, there's no mystical incantation, it's just coming to God and saying, Lord, I've run, I've turned, I've failed, I've, I've, I've sinned, but Lord, you love me and I want to accept that love in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus' death for me. I want to enter into the new life that is in him. I pray for those people that you would bring them in today. And Lord, I want to pray for all of us that we wouldn't trust in strongholds, that we wouldn't look at the situations as dire as they may, may be that face us in despair, but that we would know that you're on our side and with you on our side we have everything. Build us up in trust. When we face when we face depression, when we face situations where we thought it would succeed but it fails, when we face enemies, when we face health crises and our body fails us, when we face financial crises and the money that we could have trusted in fails us, and it just looks like there's no way for us to get there and no way for us to be free. Let us find our freedom in Christ. Let us be a people who cry out, our help is in the name of the Lord. He is for us. And so in him we have the victory. Lead our lives to trust that you are for us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're going to celebrate that our God is for us as we come to the table now. Uh, please, if you're a person.